So Money episode 814, Andy Hill, founder of the blog and podcast, Marriage, Kids, and Money. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You know, one thing that doesn't often get mentioned a ton on this podcast is marriage counseling. Specifically, how pursuing financial independence could actually put a couple in marriage counseling. Welcome back to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today's guest is Andy Hill. He's the founder of the blog and the podcast, both called Marriage, Kids, and Money. And I was a guest on Andy's podcast last month, so it's a nice treat to have him on my show today. And now to be clear, Andy is a big proponent of financial independence and retiring early. Over the past eight years, he and his wife, Nicole, have paid off $48,000 worth of debt, They paid off their home that's worth $400,000, and they've increased their net worth from zero to $750,000 in eight years. But the journey to get to this point was not without its challenges. And because Andy's blog and podcast focuses on helping families become financially independent, he wanted to cover all topics related to marriage and kids, including how beneficial marriage counseling has been to his marriage. I appreciate Andy for coming on the show today to talk about the challenges when you're paying off debt and growing your wealth in your relationship, but also how those challenges can make your family stronger. Here's Andy Hill. Andy Hill, my friend, welcome to So Money. I'm so glad to be here, Furnish. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm just returning the favor. You had me on your podcast. And <laughs> That's it was what we a blast. do, right? <laughs> you got me to reveal some things on that show that I don't normally say out loud. So thank you. And uh, I'm sorry, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> It must have been a quality interview then. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the good stuff, the juicy stuff. <laughs> yeah, you're very good. You're very good at extracting the good stuff from your guests and also sharing your own juicy tidbits about your personal life, financial life, and your family life on your blog. And I would love to share some of that with listeners today. You have a podcast and a blog, both called Marriage, Kids, and Money. And you just to, to summarize the short and the short uh, catch up for all of the listeners who may not be familiar with your work is that you and your wife Nicole over the past eight years you've paid off forty eight thousand dollars worth of debt you paid off your home worth four hundred thousand dollars you've increased your net worth from basically negative to seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in that time frame and you believe to be on the path to retiring early, that FIRE movement that we've been hearing about a lot. First, let's start there. What does retiring early mean to you? As you consider yourself a part of that FIRE community, what does it mean to you? I guess I would consider myself maybe the first part of that, the the, the three, uh, the four letters there, maybe the five, the five portion of it. So financial independence. And for me, I, I don't ever think that I'm going to retire early. Uh, I think uh, the goal of financial independence for me is discovering what I'm passionate about, what I want to move towards, what I want to do for the for the remainder of my life, you know, what what really drives me. And so by working on my finances with my wife, you know, eliminating our debt, eliminating our mortgage, you know, increasing our net worth, a lot of this has been revealed to me. Like, you know, 
when I'm not worrying about paying off debt anymore, what do I really want to do with my life? And that's where these great conversations of financial independence start to come in the picture. I don't think I will retire early, really. I think I would maybe eventually have the opportunity to not work a nine to five job for somebody else and maybe just work for myself. That's pretty exciting. But I would never really stop working. Um, and I think that's uh, maybe that's where a little a designation is for for the fire movement. And I think a lot of people in the fire movement have that same mentality as well. They want to just do something that they're passionate about and move towards it and less of the things they're not passionate about. So I fall into that camp as well. What sparks the passion for you to do to accomplish all of these financial wins in, in eight years? You've done a lot and there's more ahead of you. But what was the reason really for this shift? Yeah, for me, uh, you know, early, mid, mid-20s, late-20s, I was thinking about myself, enjoying life, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but when uh, Nicole and I got together and we found out we were having a baby, something clicked in my brain. And I've actually read about this. Uh, University of Wisconsin did some studies for expectant fathers where the mother – really starts to think about what can I do to create a warm environment at home. They can, you know, they do the nesting. What, what they think about uh, cuddling with their child. And the father goes to this, what can I do to protect my family? What can I do to make sure that they are protected and have the best life possible? And that happened to me immediately. Something clicked in my brain where I was like, wow, I need to stop living for myself, stop living for today, and think about what can I do to give my daughter the best life possible. And for me at the time, the first thing that I could think of was, man, I need to, I need to get our money situation in a better way. So, um, that, that was, that was my driving force and has been my driving force to give my family the best life possible. And every time I find a new money goal, whether it's paying off our consumer debt or paying off our mortgage or, you know, pushing towards that like million, million dollar mark for our net worth, those are the things that um, become the numeric goals or the monetary goals, but the emotional output or the or the dream output of that is making sure that our kids never, you know, experience uh, parents that are constantly at each other's throat with regard to money, or um, they don't have to worry about going into student debt in the future, or they don't have to worry about, you know. What, what, what their lives are going to be like with their, with their parents. So those are the things, the emotional goals that really get me excited um, and have continued to push me forward. The baby effect. It's real. That's right. I like it. it is, I think it is real. I mean, there's maybe I need to research some more science around it, but I know for me it worked. It's not a reason <laughs> to have a baby to get your SHIT together, right. but right. it, it's a benefit of becoming a parent and realizing, oh, I have this living, breathing, important person in my life to, 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 to care for. And so my decisions actually matter. Um, interestingly, you, you know, you talked about doing all of this so that your kids wouldn't witness mom and dad having financial troubles, which for me, that is something that I witnessed growing up. And it's certainly want some, an experience that has fed my hunger for having my own financial independence. So it kind of worked in my favor, but still it was was a little damaging uh, a little bit. Should, probably should have had some therapy around it, but that's why I have a podcast. Um, <laughs> but you and your wife did end up and are still maybe in marriage therapy resulting from some of the disagreements around uh, your, 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 in your journey to, to like, I guess, financial independence and all of that, which I want to get into. Um, but let's talk a little bit about how you ultimately built the net worth of $750,000, starting with debt. I know that you follow Dave Ramsey's seven baby steps and you had a budget obviously with your wife, Nicole, but what was really 
a, we would say an integral part of your ability to transform. Yeah, I would say, you know, you, you definitely hit it off on, on the on the right head there. Um, I got kind of a little crazy about Mr. Ramsey in uh, 2011, found his book right around that time where the, you know, the uh, we found the ultrasound and we knew that we were going to be parents. Uh, that was one of the first books that I read. And uh, the, the, the way that he wrote it, it was very, it, it clicked with me very well because it was a step process, the step one through seven of of what you can do to, to build wealth and protect your family. And I'm a, I'm a rule follower. I like, I like steps. So I ate that thing up like crazy. And as we were going through the process, uh, uh, some conversations that uh, started to happen between my wife and I, uh, I quickly realized that her and I have different views on money. You know, I'm, I'm, I am naturally a saver or I'm naturally someone who wants to, you know, work on these goals and she wants us to enjoy life and, and live for today. And there's nothing wrong with either one of those. Uh, but the way we communicated about it in the beginning, uh, didn't really help kick us off in the right spot. And I'll take the blame on that one. Honestly, uh, I read the book and I came up to her as she was, uh, coming through the door one day from, from work after a really busy day and came up to her and I said, Hey, sweetheart, I've got a plan for our family family. First things first, we need to sell your car. (laughs) (laughs) And she looked at me after her long day at work, you know, just catching her right at the door and just sort of like shook her head and walked right by. It's like, what are you talking about, guy? And for me, I'm like, "What what did I do wrong? You know, this book says it all. How come she doesn't know? How come she doesn't understand? You know, surely if she just reads the book, she'll get it, right? Um, But (laughs) through a lot of trial and error after that moment, I realized that I, I I have to stop talking about the numbers or the, the the debt structure or the or the monetary goals and really talk about the emotional side of things with her because that's really where we start to connect and that's that's some of the things that I learned early on in the relationship and that I'm still learning today eight years later that we talk differently about money and that's mm-hmm. okay it's a great thing because she helps me to be a more relaxed, fun, easygoing guy. And I help her plan for the future. So I think when we can work together and combine those superpowers, <laughs> we could become a super couple. That's excellent. And it's true. Most couples, opposites attract. And it is very true when it comes to our finances. Savers tend to attract spenders. And at first, it can be really exhilarating. To your point, you know, you can kind of live vicariously through one another. The saver finds a thrill in kind of being with somebody who likes to spend. And then the spender who might be uh, comforted by being with a saver. But if you don't communicate it around it properly, if you don't express your emotions, understand where you're coming from, it can it can backfire. What are you learning specifically in marriage counseling? What are some of the action steps that your counselor has uh, suggested to the two of you to help you communicate better around this, come closer to your goals around this? Yeah, it's been really revealing. And in, in the beginning, I was a little bit hesitant to go because, you know, there's a stigma around uh, marriage therapy where it's like, oh man, things must not be going well. So they're going to marriage therapy. You know, I quickly flipped the switch after after Nicole brought it up to me and uh, after we went for our first session and I thought, wow, wow, this is this is incredible. A third party thinking of it as a coach that is helping us through our tough times, you know, or helping us communicate better. You know, if you were not, you know, not physically fit, 
what would you do? You'd partner with a coach, right? To help you get there. Why not do the same thing with your marriage? And that's kind of what I found as I went, you know, past the first session and I started to get excited about it. Then I'm the one booking the next session. I'm saying, okay, when are we, when are we going again, sweetheart? And uh, she got really excited about that. And so did I. So some of the things that were revealing to us were the way that we were communicating with each other. You know, uh, when when we're really busy with our little kids and they're kind of hanging on our legs and we don't really have much time to talk with each other, this set aside hour that we go for our session is incredible for our marriage because some of the things that we say in passing uh, that are really important, like uh, our plans for the weekend or our plans for our lives or our financial decisions can be uh, interrupted pretty quickly when you got a six and four year old hanging around your legs. <laughs> and the way that we communicate, and we already knew this from the beginning, is that we we speak very differently about money. So, you know, when, for example, if I talk about, hey, I think it would be great if we maxed out our 401k, to her, that sounds like, wow, she wants to, he wants to take more money away from us enjoying life today. And then when I hear, I heard her say, hey, I think it would be great if we completely decorated our basement. What I heard was, wow, she really wants to take away my ability to have financial freedom. But what really was broken down in the conversations with our marriage therapist was, Actually, you guys are saying the exact same thing. You're just saying it in a different fashion. And you are interpreting what your spouse is actually saying with those messages. So when Andy says he wants to save for the future, he's saying he wants to protect the family and give them an opportunity to enjoy life and not think about money and have more fun. And then when Nicole says, hey, I want to decorate the, the basement or do something new in this house, she wants to, she re, what she's really saying is I want to create a warm home environment where we're having memories together and creating fun. And how could somebody say no to that? I mean, th- when, when, the, when the message was broken down that way by our financial therapist, it just helped us reveal, wow, there's no evil motivation from my spouse. There's no, there's no uh, desire for us to, to not have what we want. There's actually the opposite. They want to create an environment that is uh, family-centric and, and full of love. And that was a really revealing moment for me in therapy. It sounds too that your main emotional, um, your main emotions around money are very different. Like you maybe see money right now as this resource, but also it is limited. And so there are trade-offs. And so when you hear, I want to spend money on this, like you're immediately going to the scary place of, okay, well, that means a subtraction from what we have. Whereas maybe she come, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not the psychologist here, but do you no, talk about that? Something. <laughs> and then she may, I don't know, it sounds like your wife may come from a place of more of like abundance, or you might call it like, just maybe lack of awareness. Maybe she's not looking at the numbers enough to know like, okay, we really can't afford this. But uh, emotionally, how would you characterize your big emotion around money and her big emotion around money? What is it? Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of that also came up in the therapy too, and it's a lot of our our childhood memories. And you you and I got into some of the childhood memories in our conversation too. And you know, for her, she didn't grow up with a lot of money, and uh, she had family members that did have a lot of money, and that was something that she saw as, hey, wouldn't that be great to have a life like that? So when I talk about lack or restriction or you know saving more to her, that that takes away that dream of having the abundant life, the, 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 the constant joy. And then for me, you know, I grew up uh, where my parents were both working very, very, very hard, lots of hours in order to give us the life 
that they felt that we wanted, you know, that felt that the kids they wanted. And uh, with that sometimes meant less memories together. So for me, my childhood motivation or my internal motivation was to uh, work hard. Yes, but also leave time and, and a lot of time in our lives to still be able to make those memories together, to, to walk to the bus stop with, with our daughter, to, you know, get ice cream when you want to, those types of memories. And I think when I have control of my money, I feel like I'm in control of that destiny in the future. And that's where a lot of my internal motivation comes from. It is the month of Thanksgiving. This podcast is airing in November. And I wanted to ask you a question that is uh, curious on my mind, but also the mind of our sponsor, Chase Slate. What is the piece of advice, Andy, that you're especially grateful for? Financial advice. Oh, wow. I would say um, the most simplest and easiest piece of advice that I've received that has also been the most beneficial is just simply putting your numbers down in a spreadsheet or on paper, uh, instead of guessing what your expenses are, your income is, because once you know those, those numbers, that's when you can start to really make some financial moves in your life that can really benefit your situation. So just that simple action of writing it down or utilizing, you know, an, uh, an online system. I know you're a partner of Mint. I love Mint. Um, and it's helped us out so much in our relationship and the communication that we've had uh, with our financial future. So just putting it down and uh, tracking it and also seeing, um, you know, how that correlates to your, to your goals, both in marriage and, and your finances. So going back a little bit to get out of the debt, the 48 grand and also to pay off your mortgage, did you end up selling your wife's car? What did you actually end up doing (laughs) to shore up the cash? Yeah. So uh, we ended up modifying plans accordingly, just based on, uh, you know, uh, spousal reaction. Uh, So instead of, uh, you know, selling the car, we decided, hey, you know, we're making good money together. You know, at, at the time, maybe we were making just a little over six figures, uh, but we had uh, we were spending the six figures, right? So we decided, working together, let's get together once a month and uh, have a get together called the budget party. And this was my attempt to make budgeting sound like a lot of fun. So I put the word party at the end of it so my wife would would show up, and uh, it worked. Uh, there was a little hesitation. I had a little bit of you know <laughs> wine and and champagne and some pizza and some fun stuff like that. But uh, she still shows up every month for the past seven years on that one. So uh, what we did to eliminate uh, the fifty thousand dollars in debt that we had is that we we did just that. We we laid out the numbers. And we started having conversations saying, hey, we're making a little over six figures. We got about 50K in debt. What can we do to plug away and eliminate this from our lives in a short period of time, in in 12 months? And we did that. We uh, dialed back our entertainment expenses we were uh, we were expecting a child, so we weren't going to be drinking very much anyway. <laughs> right, um, right. We vacationed less. Uh, we we had to say no to family and friends quite a bit, um, and but we let them know, hey, we're saying no about this, but you know we're trying to say yes to our debt freedom, and it's going to help our our marriage and our and our relationship with our kids start off on the right foot. So within twelve months, we were able to pay off that forty eight k and uh, start our uh, our lives off with our new daughter in, in the right way. So wow. that's uh, that's part of the, the way we received our, we paid off that debt. Why was paying off the mortgage important to you? Well, um, for me, I, I when we decided to get our second house, um, it was a conversation that uh, Nicole and I had together. Again, she she was interested in having a, a better house than the bachelor pad that she moved into with me uh, when we got married. And uh, with that, you know, comes more space and uh, more square footage, but also a gigantic mortgage. And for me, 
that was one of those things that kind of made me feel stressed. You know, it made me feel like, I, I think we're good in this smaller house. You know, if we're going to get this bigger house, that's just going to mean bigger payments. That means I'm going to have to work longer hours. That means I'm going to have to continue to be the flavor of the week at work and make this six figure job. Um, so that brought a lot of stress onto me. So I said, you know what, I, I want you to have your dreams and I want my, I want to have mine too. So let's get this house, uh, but let's agree together that we're going to pay it off in less than five years. And that's where we came together as sort of a, um, as a couple and we shook hands on it and said, all right, let's do it. So that is, um, where we started off with buying the house. Um, and we'd agreed on that five years and we kept that same process together. We met every month and we did our best to increase our incomes at our jobs that we had at the time. Um, we threw every extra dollar that we had at the mortgage, any bonuses I would get things that we would sell around the house. Uh, we pretended that I only got paid 24 times a year, even though I got paid 26 times a year, we took that extra, those extra two paychecks and threw those at the mortgage, pretty much any extra money went at it. Um, there was a time where our second son came into the world and she went down to a full-time mom. It was a, a decision we made together and that dropped us down to a single income. So our payments went down significantly, but we kept up the same process. And eventually, uh, just under four years, we were able to pay off the mortgage completely. Um, and that was last fall. So it's a, a valued at $400,000 right now. Uh, so we own it free and clear. We're pretty happy about it. So I'm interested to know now something that really stood out. What you told me was that your your wife is a stay at home mom. Yeah. So what what are some of the um, arrangements around that to make sure that she remains financially solvent and independent? Because I for me, like as a feminist, I feel like it's really important for women to have their own financial sort of autonomy, regardless of whether they get married or stay single or whatever. Uh, I just think it's really important for them to have that uh, always. So what's the philosophy around that in your household? I think that's a, that's a great question and something that I'm conscious of too, because sometimes, and I know this, this happened in our relationship, when she went down to zero income and she was staying at home, uh, she didn't want to, she didn't want to feel powerless, right? You know, I'm still contributing. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm raising the children. That is, in my opinion, my, my personal opinion, that is more important than the work I'm doing. Um, so and what harder, we do to, frankly, and, sorry. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, so it's, hard. it's a lot harder. And, and gentlemen, if you're listening to this and you want to get some perspective, uh, have your uh, spouse, uh, your wife go on a, a vacation for a week and watch the kids at home. Mm-hmm. You will get some quick perspective very quickly. And uh, that's happened to me. And uh, it's good. It's a good reminder for me every once in a while. Um, but, but, some of the things that we do to, to make her feel, you know, uh, as if this is our money, as opposed to Andy just bringing in the dollars is, um, we create large buckets within our budget that, that are designated for things that bring her joy for getting her hair done, shopping, um, you know, decorating the home, you know, things like that, that make her feel really good. And then this is our money to work on together. But then also we, we utilize, uh, um, services like mint to help us track it together. So this, this autonomy, these, these buckets, uh, and also just having general, uh, categories called whoops or fun or whatever, just to allow for some of that to happen has been really important for her. And it's, uh, decreased, uh, more of our money fights, uh, than, than in the past. And we've actually even had some discussions about, um, Hey, 
hey, Nicole, would you rather just have a separate account that is designated for the money that you want to spend on certain things? And and we've talked about that a few times, but she's uh, she's happy with the way we're doing it um, and she doesn't want to change. So that's something that uh, obviously it's very specific for every couple. Mm-hmm. There's no right way or wrong way. You know, some people like to keep it all into one account. Some people like to separate it. You got to do what's best for your marriage. And uh, we're, we're it's a constant change for us and we're, we're working on it every day. Well, I think the important thing is that you're just you're, it's not a done deal. You're, you're, you're the, it's always something that's up for discussion. And I think that's the, the greatest lesson, really. Cause like, like you said, everyone's going to be different, but just, uh, I think if you have an understanding that it could evolve, she could wake up one day and go, nope, I need to have my own separate bucket, then that's what you do. Um, and that's, yeah. that's, uh, that's wonderful. Okay. So sticking with the so money format here, I do want to ask what has been your biggest money mistake? Mm, my biggest money mistake. Uh, well, I would say, and this kind of has a lot to do with our conversation today. When I graduated from college, I thought that the smart financial thing to do is to buy a house right away. And uh, I would say that's probably been my biggest money mistake because what I didn't understand is that the mortgage agent's going to tell you what kind of house you can afford based on your based on your salary, um, but they are really a salesperson. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. They're doing their job. But at the end of the day, they are there to sell mortgages and to get you in a home that uh, you maybe could afford, right? Uh, so I got into this home and I immediately found out that I could not afford the mortgage. I definitely couldn't afford all of the bills and all the repairs that come along with it. If I wanted furniture, these are all things that aren't factored in when you're meeting with the mortgage agent, right? So um, I, I felt really burned by that. And I had bought a house sort of at the top of the market in 2004 in Detroit. And then over the next couple of years, we had a nasty, nasty crisis where uh, home values went way down. I ended up owing way more on my mortgage than it was worth. And I was stuck. I felt stuck by owning this home, this thing that I was supposed to do, right? And and I never wanted to feel like that again. And I guess that's part of the reason that I wanted to take control of the second mortgage situation in our lives and really eliminate it from our lives because I never wanted to feel like that again. I, I did not like feeling powerless um, and stuck. You know, there were times where I had a job opportunity to move to Chicago and I just couldn't take it because I was I mean, $80,000 in the hole on my home, $100,000 in the hole on my home, and I just couldn't walk away. So uh, some some decisions like that were, were made to stick with it. But um, yeah, I really appreciated the the lesson out of it. I hated, this, I hated it when I was there. But now, uh, looking back, I, I think I learned a lot from it and then made a smarter mortgage decision the second time around. Well, that a lot explains why you had this rejection to the mortgage because yes. you I, and we should mention you know as someone living in Detroit that that is a quite the place right now to be although in during the recession it was it, people were fleeing from Detroit for a lot yes. of reasons tell us a little bit about Detroit Do you yeah think, like, honestly it is it's insane right now Farnoosh. over the past five years and I've and I've grown I've grown up here I grew up in a suburb just outside of Detroit and you know you just didn't go into Detroit when you were younger. It's just wasn't like a, you know, happening place to be. Yes, there were a couple of restaurants and things like that. You go downtown to, you know, to experience some of the city. But over the past five years, it is insane. All of the sports teams are now centrally located. Uh, the, the basketball team, the football team, baseball and hockey, all downtown in a specific spot. There are five star restaurants popping up left and right. I go down there, uh, you know, probably once a month. I, I go to the Detroit Lions games and there's a new restaurant or a new 
new building that's coming up. All of the young professionals, they want to live down there now because there's all these companies coming up. Um, you know, LinkedIn is moving down there. Uh, Google's moved their headquarters down there. Uh, Quicken Loans, gigantic company that's downtown that is, um, you know, uh, spurring a lot of growth. Ally, financial, some big companies that are in- encouraging a lot of young people to move down there. So the condos are popping up. People are wanting to live down there. You know, there's a lot, a, a long way for it to go. I still have to work on the school system for a lot of families to want to actually be down there, but it's headed in the right direction. And it's really exciting to be in Detroit nowadays. I remember being there during the recession uh, as I was filming a segment for Yahoo and seeing real estate listings, flyers on windows, $5,000 for a teardown house. Uh, The problem was uh, that it was a lot of these homes were in neighborhoods where uh, there just wasn't any thing going on. There a lot of abandoned homes. There was no trash pickup. Mail wasn't going there. So, you know, I did think about it though. I was like, hmm, $5,000 for a, for, for land in this country is, is a steal. It doesn't matter where it is, but you know, um, I wasn't, <laughs> I, I ultimately passed, but yeah. uh, it's well, nice I mean, to big- hear that things are on the up and up. Yeah. The big problem with Detroit is just just sheer size. I mean, I think that you can fit um, from what I heard, San Francisco, Boston, and like New York City, all within the confines of of Detroit itself. So the the ability for it to provide city services as far and wide as it goes, that that was a major part of the recession and the problem. Absolutely. Mm. Well, let's do some so many fill in the blanks. How does that sound? Sounds great. I'm in. All right. Don't overthink it. If I won the lottery, do you play the lottery? Uh, I I didn't, but I have in the past. I yeah. mean, this one point six billion dollar one that just passed. I kind of wish I did just for fun. <laughs> oh my god! Apparently, it went just to one person who's anonymous, which is probably oh. a good thing. Smart but move. If I won the lottery, the first thing I would do is I would go on a year long vacation with my wife and kids. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Why not? All right. The one thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is. Hmm. One thing I spend on that makes my life easier, better, uh, uh, services around my home. I love getting my lawn cut. I love getting the, uh, the, the daily tasks of taking care of my house all taken care of. So I do, I do spend some money, uh, but it's usually on ways to just make my life a little easier make the day a little easier. When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is, Hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't directly provide happiness. It's just a tool. And um, I wish I would have known that a little earlier um, because that would help me to think more about the dreams that I have for my life as opposed to the accumulation of it. Hmm. And I'm Andy Hill. I'm so money because... I'm so money. <laughs> yeah. I'm Andy Hill. I, are, I love it. I'm Andy Hill. <laughs> I'm so money because I'm okay with failing because you learn from it. That's awesome. Andy Hill, thank you so much. And thank you really for sharing uh, so much about the behind the scenes of how you're making it work, you and your wife. Thank you to your wife as well for letting us in on both of your uh, journeys and wishing you all of the best. Thank you so much, Farnoosh. I appreciate being here. Thanks to Andy for joining us. You can learn more about him by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com. And you can also listen to the podcast by the same name and follow him on Twitter at Andy 
Hill MKM. All this information is back at somoneypodcast.com, the transcript, the audio. And if you'd like to maybe co-host with me the Friday episodes or leave a question for me for the Friday episodes, there also click on Ask Farnoosh and submit your question or or let me know you'd like to hang out and uh, co-host. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money.